Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, November 30th, 2017. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio. Beantown Athletics, Boston's go-to destination for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. Today's show is also presented by the Dorchester Group. The Dorchester Group is a full-service real estate agency specializing in the sale of properties in the Boston area. What can they do for you? Well, the Dorchester Group assists individuals who currently own property, helping them come up with the best strategy to manage, improve, or dispose of it. They're here to help you maximize your return and protect you against developers who are looking to take advantage of you and your valuable property. These developers don't care about you or your neighborhood. All they care about is money and how they can make more of it when you're gone and your property is theirs. So do yourself a favor and put someone from the neighborhood in your corner right now. Call the Dorchester Group today at 617-869-4464. That's 617-869-4464. Or go to their website, thedorchestergroupre.com. That's the Dorchester Group, re.com. Maximize your return today with the Dorchester Group. Welcome to the show on this Thursday, November 30th, the final day of November. I will close out the show with my picks for Week 13 in the NFL, and I'll also get to some NHL stuff. I got some thoughts on the Bruins. I'll get to some Major League Baseball stuff. I got some thoughts on the hot stove, the offseason. More specifically, uh, some Boston Red Sox trade rumors that are out there. I'll react to that. But uh, it's a football Thursday, so let's begin with that. Week 13 in the NFL begins with Thursday Night Football. Dallas hosting Washington. The Cowboys are two-point dog at home. So uh, this is a big game for both teams. It's a must-win for both teams. We're both battling to get into the playoffs Hey, by the time you listen to this, that game might already be over, so let's not spend too much time on that. Just letting you know, that's when Week 13 begins. That's what it begins with. Dallas and Washington in Dallas on Thursday Night Football, and both of these teams played on Thanksgiving, so it'll be the rare normal week for both teams on the Thursday night game, seeing where they played last Thursday, and now they'll play this Thursday. They get a week off in between. Week 13 will end with Cincinnati hosting Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football. The Bengals host the Steelers. The Steelers a five-point favorite in that one. Pittsburgh, the number one seed in the AFC. Cincinnati just trying to stay alive in the playoff race. So if I had to pick who that final wildcard spot in the AFC is going to be, I would not pick Cincinnati, mainly because of their schedule moving forward. I mean, this is going to be a tough one against Pittsburgh. Then they have Chicago. That's a winnable game for Cincinnati. But after that, then they have Minnesota in Minnesota, then Detroit, and then a Week 17 game against Baltimore, which is not going to be easy because Baltimore is battling with Cincinnati for that final wildcard spot in the AFC. So a must win for the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Um, Here locally in Boston, we are focused on the Patriots in Buffalo Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Pats have won seven straight games, and now they play three consecutive road games with this one in Buffalo, then in Week 14 in Miami, and then Week 15, that 425 
kickoff in Pittsburgh on CBS. Uh, that, I mean, it's got to be the game of the week. I haven't looked at the rest of the games in week 15, but I would assume that is the game of the week. The Patriots in Pittsburgh and the winner of that game will hold the tiebreaker for the number one seed in the AFC. So that will be important, but the Patriots have to focus on beating Buffalo in Buffalo first and foremost. And uh, the Patriots right now the number two seed in the AFC. If the playoffs began today, Buffalo would be on the outside looking in because of Baltimore's win on Monday night against Houston. But Buffalo's right back in it. They've gone back to Tyrod Taylor, which is a great decision. I don't know why they ever get away from Tyrod Taylor. I I will always question that decision from Bills coach Sean McDermott as I think uh, the Bills organization, the Bills players should question that decision. The entire league should question that decision because with Nathan Peterman in that game coming in, throwing five interceptions in the first half a couple weeks ago, um, you lose to the Chargers, that could be your season. I mean, that one loss to the Chargers could end up deciding whether or not you make the playoffs. So uh, the Bills are in the playoff race. They, they're coming off a big win over Kansas City in Kansas City last week, but they still find themselves, the Bills still find themselves on the outside looking in on the playoff picture. And um, I think they'll be ready to go. Uh, to tease my picks, I have picked that game, the Bills and the Patriots. I've picked one of those two teams in that game for picks picks. So um, I'll wait to get to that to the end of the show, but the top storylines entering week 13 on a national level is that we got our first clinching scenario in the NFL this season, and that first clinching scenario is the Philadelphia Eagles. They are looking for their 10th straight win. Philadelphia is 10-1 and in the season. They've won nine straight. They can clinch the NFC East with a win in Seattle on Sunday Night Football or a Dallas loss on Thursday Night Football to Washington. So uh, by the time you listen to this, perhaps if Dallas loses to the Redskins on Thursday night, we uh, perhaps we already know, and Philly's already clinched the NFC East, but let's say that Dallas beats Washington, Philly can still clinch the division with a win Sunday night in Seattle. The Seahawks are all banged up defensively, so... Uh, I think the door is open for Philly to be able to go in to Seattle and win. I I don't think it's going to be easy, but seeing just how banged up the Seahawks defense is right now, it's not going to be as tough as it normally would be. If Seattle was fully healthy defensively, I, I would not be even considering Philly going into Seattle and win this game. But I think they absolutely can pull it off. They've looked great. And, uh, you know, it comes down to Seattle's defense being as banged up as they are, which could be the difference in that game. And if Philly wins, they will clinch the NFC East. And speaking of the NFC East, another major National Football League story this week is the Eli Manning saga. And uh, I gave my take on this on Twitter yes, or the other day, yesterday, the other day, whenever it was, um, Tuesday night. Wednesday afternoon, I gave my take on Twitter. I threw out a couple tweets. Follow me, at Danny Picard. I also wrote a column in the Boston Metro this week on this very topic. And and I see, I, I don't usually go with national storylines for my Boston Metro column. I mean, it's in print, in newspaper, which the in print version is only 
around the city of Boston. So I usually stick to local Boston storylines in the sports world. But it's also online. It's also on the web, metro.us. I posted the link on my Twitter and Facebook. Um, But the reason I went with this Eli Manning storyline and went with a national storyline in my column this week is because as a Patriots fan, as somebody from Boston, as somebody from New England, we are forever going to be linked to Eli Manning. We're forever going to be linked to the the Manning family. We're linked to Peyton Manning because of his battles with Tom Brady when Peyton was with the Colts, and then Peyton went to the Broncos, and those battles continued. So we're linked to Peyton Manning. We're linked to Eli Manning because of the two Super Bowls, and a lot of people on Twitter the last couple days, at least a lot of Giants fans on Twitter the last couple days, uh, they'll be the first to point out that Tom Brady lost both of those Super Bowls to Eli Manning's Giants. I get it. I don't need the reminder. I, I, I realize what happened in those two Super Bowls, and uh, it's devastating stuff, but you have to acknowledge it for sure. I'm not running away from that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not. In fact, when it comes to my overall thoughts of Eli Manning, the football player, I have a lot of respect for the guy. I do. I have a lot of respect for the guy. And, um, you know, he, he always says the right things. He doesn't seem to get too worked up at things that piss him off. And over the years, there should be a lot of things that piss him off, right? With that team, with some of the players that, that he's had to play with on that team. I mean, it's been a New York Giants team that has only made the playoffs once now in the last six seasons. Only once in the last six seasons. That was last year. So, and, and I'm, I'm factoring in this year, the Giants are one of three NFL teams to already be eliminated from playoff contention through 12 weeks of the NFL season. The other two teams that have already been eliminated officially are the San Francisco 49ers, who are 1-10. And, and by the way, San Fran's only win this season is against the Giants. And the 0-11 Cleveland Browns. So Cleveland, San Francisco, and the New York Giants are the only three teams in the NFL through 12 weeks of the season that have been officially eliminated from playoff contention. And uh, that means that, including this year, the Giants now have been on the outside looking into the playoff picture five of the last six years. They've only made the playoffs once in the last six years. So you can imagine some of the frustration that Eli Manning must have because it all it hasn't all been his fault, obviously. I get that. And so, you know, I do. I will open this up and preface it by saying I have a lot of respect for Eli Manning. I do. I absolutely do. And um, that said, I don't. One thing I don't think we should be doing right now is throwing the sympathy bouquets at the guy because he's being benched. And this is one of the top storylines. Might even be the number one storyline in the NFL right now when it comes to controversy or or drama. I mean. Let's be honest, what what should the top story be? The top story should really be the Philadelphia Eagles, the fact that they're 10-1, and the fact that they have a chance to clinch the division in Week 13 already and the season that Carson Wentz is having. I actually predicted the Eagles to win the division, but I didn't predict them to do it like this. They've been pretty damn dominant having 1-9 straight, and I'm not trying to take anything away from the job that Tom Brady and the Patriots are doing or even, to an extent, the, the job that the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing at nine and two and some of the other stories around the league. But 
I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles, even as somebody that picked them to go to the playoffs and win the NFC East this year, I'm surprised by the way they're doing it and just how dominant they look. So that really is the top story. But there's not much controversy there. And you know, when you turn on ESPN or you listen to sports talk radio or even, you know, controversial podcasts or, you know, when you have the, the double talking heads on a show and you got the split screens and they're yelling at each other and... You know, it gives you a headache, but but this is a topic that's perfect for them. Eli Manning getting benched. It was announced on Tuesday. The Giants made it official. Giants coach Ben McAdoo made it official that Eli Manning would be benched in favor of Geno Smith this weekend, this Sunday. What are they playing? In Oakland? They're playing against the Raiders Sunday in Oakland, and it'll be Geno Smith starting for the Giants. And it's been major news. It's been major news, really, because of all the overreaction. It's been major news, really, because of all the people who are so sympathetic and towards Eli Manning. And they seem so shocked that this would be an option for the, get this, 2-9 and nine New York Giants. See, I am not shocked by this. So when I heard this news come out, I thought to myself, all right, here's what the Giants are doing. Their season is over. They have nothing to play for. They probably talked to Eli Manning, sat him down. This is an organizational decision, and they feel the need to do everything they can to to, to get their best chances of securing a top three pick in the 2018 NFL draft. And how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't think you keep starting Eli Manning. That's for sure. You don't keep starting your best quarterback. You go to somebody who's worse than him. So for all the people on Twitter yelling at me, let me first, let me back it up and let me just tell you what I, if you haven't seen my tweets and if you haven't read my column, I'm assuming you have, but if you haven't, I'll get into what I was saying. I reacted to all the people who were shocked by this news. I reacted to all the people who were saying, oh, Ben McAdoo, he's doing Eli Manning so wrong. He's, he's showing him no respect. This, this is a disaster. The Giants are a disaster of an organization right now. You know, they, they've, they've lost it. How are they going to bench Eli Manning? Oh, this is so disrespectful. They were shocked by this. They were offended by this. Every, I mean, everything. You go on Twitter, I tell you all the time, somebody's offended by something. If it wasn't for Twitter, I honestly don't think people would even be offended by as much stuff because I think people feed off of other people being offended, right? I do. I, I think it's, um, you know, when, when you go, when you log on to Twitter, and you see somebody's offended about a certain topic and you see their reasoning for it, you're like, oh, you know what? If they're going to be offended and they're going to be offended, I'm going to be offended too. You know, we're all going to be offended. I I just think it it rubs off on other people. So um, when you go on Twitter, I guess you should sort of expect people to be offended by something and people were offended that Eli Manning... And it wasn't just fans, it was also media, like NFL media types who cover the National Football League. People who who cover more than just the Giants. They cover the entire league. They're out there tweeting up a storm going, oh, this is so disrespectful to Eli and the Manning family and the Giants organization. They're doing them wrong. And I reacted to it by basically saying, wait a minute, how are you shocked by this? And how are they disrespecting Eli Manning? My ultimate point was, hey, you know what? If you don't want to get benched, then don't go 2-9 and and don't be eliminated from playoff contention after week 12. 
for an organization that's only made the playoffs once now in the last six years. So I kind of feel like there's an easy fix here. If you are Eli Manning, you don't want to get benched. Guess what? Don't go to a nine. And I also tweeted out for the people that will come back at me and say, well, how would you feel if the Patriots decided to bench a two and nine Tom Brady? Well, I can't even think of that, that because realistically, there's literally zero chance that Tom Brady would ever go two and nine. So that would never happen. You want, honestly, if the, if the New York Giants were five and six right now, not two and nine, five and six, give them three more wins. If they were five and six, heck, you know what? If they had beaten the San Francisco 49ers and they were three and eight, you know what would be happening? Eli Manning would be the quarterback for the Giants still. You know why? Because they wouldn't be officially eliminated from playoff contention. But I'll go to the five and six record. If, if the Giants were five and six, which is still a bad record, still a bad season, you're one game under 500 going into week 13. If the Giants were five and six, Eli Manning would still be the starting quarterback because they would still have a chance to get to the playoffs. But right now, if you're the Giants, you have no chance of getting to the playoffs. You're eliminated. It's over. What are you playing for this season? Here's what you should be playing for. And you can't come out and admit this, obviously. From a coaching standpoint, from a front office standpoint, from an ownership standpoint, you cannot come out and admit that you are now playing to secure a top three pick in the 2018 NFL draft. You can't admit that you're tanking. You can't do that. And I know that you'll get players that will tell you tanking is not a real thing. You know, guys will still go out there and give 110% effort. But as a front office, as, as ownership of an organization, as a coach who obviously works with the front office and works with ownership, here's what you can do. You cannot put your best players on the field. You can bench someone. You can bench Eli Manning. You can bench your franchise quarterback, who is the best quarterback on the team, and go with a worse quarterback the rest of the season. And you can justify it by saying, well, we're 2-9. and nine. We feel like we need some type of change, and we've been eliminated from the playoffs, so we want to see what we have with the other quarterbacks. We want to see it. I think you can justify it that way. And um, when you do that, you're, you're giving your team a worse chance to win, which ultimately, from an organizational perspective, should be the only thing you're doing. You're not going to admit that, but that's what you should be doing. So people coming at me going, well, how can you bench Eli Manning for a worse quarterback? Geno Smith's obviously worse than Eli Manning. No shit. No, like, why would you even waste your fucking time tweeting that at me? No shit Geno Smith's a worse quarterback than Eli Manning. Nobody... Nobody is saying that Geno Smith is getting the job right now because he's a better QB than Eli Manning. But I get it. They can't come out and really admit that in a press conference because they'd essentially be admitting that, well, you know, maybe we're not going for a couple more wins because we see where we currently stand and we don't want to get four wins, five wins, because then you know what might happen? You know what might happen then? Then we might not have a top three pick. We want the best draft pick possible. And guess what? With the 49ers now starting Jimmy Garoppolo... For all the talk of how good people think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be, if, if he's starting for the 49ers, which he is this week, you mean to tell me 49ers can't get a couple more wins? So the Giants right now are in position where they might be looking at, all right, right now they have the number three overall pick. They could get number two. I don't think they're going to get number one because I, I don't necessarily know that Cleveland's going to win a game. 
Or should I say they're not going to win two? They, they, the Browns are definitely not winning two games. So the Giants are definitely not getting number one, the number one overall pick. But they're in a battle right now for the number two overall pick. So I mentioned Garoppolo, but the same thing with Eli Manning. If Eli Manning is as good as everybody who's so offended by this is saying he is, then doesn't Eli Manning give the Giants a chance to win a couple games here down the stretch? Doesn't Eli Manning give the Giants a better chance than, than Geno Smith to, to help the Giants win a couple games down the stretch? Of course Eli Manning gives them a better chance, but that's why they're not playing them. See, this logic is so simple to me. I can't understand what the fuck goes on in people's lives who log on to Twitter and get offended by shit. Like, what type of drugs are you doing? What, like, what's going on there behind the scenes? It's like, and, and, and I'm talking about people that, you know, I, I kind of respected at one point, like NFL writers, NFL media members, not just local in New York, but, but national. Like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys thinking? This is simple. And people say, oh, Eli Manning isn't like it. He doesn't. Who likes getting benched? One, two, nobody is benching Eli Manning and saying that his career's over. Why can't Eli Manning be the Giants' starting quarterback in week one of 2018? He's under a, he's under a contract, a four-year extension. This is the second year of Eli Manning's four-year contract extension. Should, should I give you the numbers? Should I give you the numbers, which really should... I'm going to give you the numbers, and then you see the video of Eli Manning you know, almost in tears talking to the media how he's being benched. I mean, it's an eye roller. It's like, oh, holy shit. Um, I think you can afford a couple bucks of tissues with this contract. I mean, a four-year, $84 million extension he signed a couple years ago. This is year number two. He got a $31 million signing bonus. You could buy tissues for life. You could put a tissue box in every room of your house for everybody in your family, in all their houses, right? (laughs) For life. $31 $31 million signing bonus and $65 million guaranteed. Next year will be the third year of this deal. Again, four-year extension. So he's locked up with the Giants. And oh yeah, he's got a full no-trade clause. Eli Manning is still going to be, the, in my opinion, he still is the favorite to be the starting quarterback for the Giants next year in 2018 in week one. So nobody is saying that Eli's career is done. Nobody's saying that even his career with the Giants is over. And let's say he goes to another team. Let's say they release him or maybe he agrees to a trade. And I don't even know if they do that. But let's say they did. Eli Manning would be a starting quarterback somewhere else. Eli Manning's going to be a starting quarterback next year in the NFL. For the next four years, five years, he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Don't tell me he's not. He is. This, nobody's ending his career. Like, I go on Twitter, you would think that Eli Manning died. He, he didn't. He got benched. So everybody calm the fuck down, all right? Because I think the logic is there. But also, you get these people crushing Ben McAdoo. And I'm not saying that Ben McAdoo's a good coach. I'm not even telling you that Ben McAdoo is going to be the Giants coach next season. In fact, he probably won't. But you mean to tell me, for the people, this is for the people crushing Ben McAdoo. Now, I know he's the one that, I, I guess I'll, you know, makes the decision or publicly it looks that way, right? But you mean to tell me that Ben McAdoo made this decision without talking to the front office, without talking to ownership, that Ben McAdoo is the guy that made this decision? Please, 
and and this gets into the respect that I have for Eli Manning. When you're going to bench, if you decide to bench somebody like Eli Manning, a franchise quarterback who has two Super Bowl rings, you decide to bench that guy. And you're a coach who has won nothing in this league and looks like a complete clown this season. You cannot, you do not have the right as a coach to bench Eli Manning unless you go through the front office and ownership. So this decision to bench somebody like Eli Manning, somebody of that stature, somebody who's a franchise QB with multiple Super Bowl championships, you know who actually is the one who benches Eli Manning? Ownership and the front office, not the coach. The coach is basically the puppet in this thing, and he's the guy that's going to take the heat. He's the guy that's going to take the heat and probably get fired, right? And and maybe this is ownership's way and the front office's way of saying, hey, you know what? We got to get rid of Ben McAdoo. I know we probably have a good enough reason to do it right now anyways, but we'd like to also get a get a top three pick, maybe even number two overall. And in the process, we'll throw this all on the coach and we'll use that as the ultimate reason, which is why we fired Ben McAdoo, maybe even this season, maybe they even fired Ben McAdoo in two weeks. I don't know. But to, to put this all on McAdoo is a little insane because I don't think that you're living in the real world if you actually believe the coach is the one that made this decision to bench somebody like Eli Manning. It, this came from the front office. This came from ownership. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. But ultimately what it comes down to is what the Giants are trying to do and what they can still do the rest of the season. They, they're, they've been eliminated from the playoffs, folks. They're not ending Eli Manning's career. And it's just, if if you want to take all that stuff out of it, Somebody threw a tweet at me saying, oh, you're using this as an opportunity to dance on Eli's grave. And and I made it a point in my column for the Boston Metro, I made it a point to say, well, they're using the word grave, not me, because I don't consider Eli Manning's career to be over. I don't think this finishes his career. In fact, I still think if I had to put my money on it, I would put my money on Eli Manning being the Giants starting quarterback next season. And I kind of feel like he should understand this. What, he wanted the consecutive game start streak? He had started 210 consecutive games. Who cares about that? What's he? I don't get it. What does he want to be? The the Cal Ripken Jr. of the NFL? Who gives a shit about that? He wants. Who's the number one guy? Brett Favre? What does he have? Close to 300 consecutive starts? I mean, is Eli Manning even ever going to catch that anyways? 210 right now. And that's going to end, obviously, in week 13 where he's not going to get the start. Who cares about that? If you're Eli Manning, shouldn't you be sitting there going, all right, we are 2-9 and nine, and we could get a top pick, which could help us the next couple of years if I'm going to stay here and be the starting quarterback. I mean, if he can't understand this, I don't understand what's wrong with him. But also, do you know how difficult it is to be 2-9 and nine in the NFL right now? Honestly, do you know how difficult that is? Watch this league. Watch some of these coaching decisions. Watch some of the quarterback play in this league. Watch some of the defenses in this league. Do you know how difficult it is to be 2-9 and nine right now and to already be eliminated from the playoffs officially through 12 weeks of the season. It's almost impossible. You almost have to try to be that bad. Honestly, you almost have to try. So um, that's why I say Tom Brady would never be 2-9. and nine. So I can't even think of that, you know, people say, well, 
what if they treated, what if the Patriots treated Brady like this? Well, they, first of all, they wouldn't treat Brady like this because he would never be 2-9 and nine in this league. Second of all, even if the Patriots were a game under 500, they wouldn't be doing it because they'd still be alive in the playoffs. This league sucks so bad that you can be 3-8 and eight right now and still mathematically be alive. That's how bad this league is right now. The Giants are not alive. Their season's over. They cannot make the playoffs, even if they won out. If they won every single game the rest of the season by 20 points each game, if they blew out every team, they looked like the best team in football the final five weeks, they still could not get into the playoffs. They've been eliminated. So I think this is a logical move by an organization that's trying to do one thing. Get the best draft pick they can in 2018, and I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with ending Eli Manning's consecutive start streak, and I don't think anybody else should have a problem with it. Stop overreacting. Stop being shocked by news that shouldn't be shocking. Stop being offended by stuff that you shouldn't be offended by. The Eli Manning thing, the Eli Manning storyline, yeah, it's a great talking point for people because, I mean, you know, it is a story. He, he's a two-time Super Bowl champ. He's a big name. Uh, he comes from, you know, the Man- obviously the Manning family, the prestigious football family in the NFL. And uh, anytime you get a bench a guy like that, it's a tough story. But I have no sympathy. As much as I respect Eli Manning, as much as I think Eli Manning should still be a starting quarterback in this league as early as week one of next season, and he will be, I have no sympathy for him right now because I can understand what the Giants are doing. And I just, what I don't understand is why other people don't understand it. That's what I don't understand. Why other people don't understand why the Giants are making this move right now and why they're benching Eli Manning. Makes makes all the sense in the world to me. So um, that's a tough story. I had to react to it. Uh, very passionate reaction too, because again, being a Patriots fan, being someone from Boston, from New England, we're forever going to be linked to the Manning family. So anything that happens to Eli or Peyton or even Archie, you know, it's, should I say hit home? I don't know. Hit home might be strong, but um, it's going to be talked about in these pots. And uh, I talked about it in my column for the Metro and right now on this show. So we'll move on from that. I'll get back to some football at the end of the show to close out the show with my picks, but just a couple other things I want to mention here. I did tell you I was going to get into some NHL and some thoughts on the Boston Bruins. And uh, that's because, you know, some people have created a goalie controversy in this town, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I mean, I can, just to let you know where I stand with the Bruins right now, I'll be honest, I've watched a lot more of the Celtics than I have the Bruins this year. That doesn't mean I don't pay attention to what's going on with the Bees. That doesn't mean I, you know, I I don't watch them at all. I watch them sometimes, but I, I find myself watching the Celtics more. I find myself... I always watch a lot more NBA than I do NHL. And that that actually surprises some people because they know how big of a hockey guy I am. But I I just enjoy the NBA more than the NHL. It sounds crazy to some people, but that's the way it is. And the Celtics are one of the most exciting teams in the NBA right now. So why wouldn't I watch them more than the Bruins? I do. So I guess full disclosure, I watch the Celtics more than I have the Bruins this season. That said... I've watched some Bruins. I understand I understand some of the 
topics and discussions that take place in this town. I try to keep my ear open to that. And um, the, the top story right now is the fact that there's apparently, at least outside of the organization, from the people on the outside looking in, is apparently a goalie controversy. It's just, it's made up. It's stupid. I don't think there is one inside the organization. Um, and I don't think there should be, which means that I don't think there is. There shouldn't be one outside the organization. The, the, the media or the fans that are out there who want Anton Adobin to be the team's number one goaltender, they either just, you know, Tuka Rask must have done something to them personally. I don't, I don't know what that is, but he must have done something to them. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Tuka Rask has been an above-average goaltender. We'll even call him one of the best goaltenders in the league longer than Anton Hadobin has been good at all in his career. Anton Hadobin is older than Tuka Rask. By what, a year? Anton Hadobin's 31. Tuka Rask is, what, 30? So, um, stop making Anton Hadobin out to be this 25-year-old up-and-coming superstar goaltender. Most of his career... He's been bad. Tuka Rask has been good as much as Anton Hadobin has been very bad in this league. Anton Hadobin has seen some success this season. Anton Hadobin, what he win? Four straight games this year? And he won four straight not too long ago. And um, then they went back to Tuka. Tuka lost to Edmonton in a game that really wasn't even his fault. I actually thought Tuka played better in that game than he did in a win last night on Wednesday night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Bruins won. Tuka was in net for that. And they're out there saying, oh, it's Tuka Rask's first win since November 6th. And they make that comment sound like Tuka Rask hasn't won since the beginning of last year. Like, they make it sound like such a long period of time. It was just a couple weeks ago. It was this month, you know, as I record this show. Tuka Rask gets his first win since November 6th. They make it sound like such a long time ago. Now, they do that because Tuka had lost his previous four starts, and somewhere in the middle there, Anton Hadobin ends up rattling off four straight. And because of that, some people in this town created a goalie controversy, basically out of nowhere, because Tuka has not been on his A game this season, and Hadobin seemingly has. And, you know, you get these comments thrown out like, oh, the team plays better in front of this guy than they do that guy. No. Stop. Stop. Stop it with that. That the comment doesn't even make sense. You go out every night and you try to win the same amount. You try to win for everybody else. Like, you don't just, you know, a goalie's in net and you you don't go into that game going, ah, I don't really care for this guy. I'm going to not try tonight. (laughs) Tonight, tonight, I think, tonight... I think the boys are going to get an 80% effort level out of me because I would rather have Hadobin in that. You think that is a mindset that any professional athlete ever has? Stop. Stop. It, it doesn't. It, it isn't. It doesn't. That's not a mindset anyone has. Now, that said, again, from the outside looking in, the people who have created this goaltending controversy, um, they can't be happy. They can't be happy because here's what we should be doing when we see Anton Hudobin play really well and, and rattle off four straight wins. Here's what we should be doing. early Again, early in the season. We're in the month of November. And by the time you listen to this, maybe this will be the month of December. But still, you get my point. 
just a couple months into the season, early in the season, when you see the backup goaltender play as well as Anton Adobin has been playing, you should enjoy that. And I kind of said this on Monday's show too. But now that we have Tuca actually get a win on Wednesday night, you know, it begs the question, well, who's going to play goalie next? Well, whoever the coach wants to play goalie, but if, when we're going with who the number one is, who's the number one? Tuka Rask. It's not even, it shouldn't even be a f- fucking debate. So what you should be doing is seeing Anton Adobin play well, Basically, we should, we should enjoy that the backup goaltender is doing what everybody wanted the backup goaltender to do last year at this time of the season. Because let me remind you, last year this time, as I record this on November 30th, at this time last year, another goalie, not named Tuka Rask, had still failed to get their first win. Tuka Rask had 25 of the Bruins' 26 wins last year. Through the first four months of the season, Tuka had 25 of the Bruins' first 26 wins. That was through the month of January. But at this point last year, Rask, on November 30th, at this point last year, Rask was still the only Bruins goalie to have a win. Not because he played every game, but because the backup goaltenders sucked. And the top backup goaltender, Anton Adobin, was the worst out of all of them. And he couldn't win a game for his life. Hadobin last year got his first win on December 1st. All right? And he didn't get his second win until mid-February. Hadobin went 1-5-1 and one in his first seven starts. He was put on waivers. Nobody claimed him. He ended up down in Providence. Right? Nobody claimed because nobody wanted him because he sucked. He was horrible. I already went on this rant last season, but I need to do it again to refresh people's memory as to, one, how bad Anton Hadobin can be, and two, what we're seeing Anton Hadobin do right now shouldn't make you think, oh, wow, he's the new number one goaltender. Let's crown him as such, and let's play him a majority of the games. No, 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 no. And that's not to say you should be upset with Hadobin doing good right now. You should be thrilled that Hadobin is doing this good right now because he's the backup goaltender. And what we were asking out of Hadobin last year at this time was exactly this. As the backup, come in and give the team a chance to win. When Tuka Rass needs some rest early in the season so Tuka can be fresh late. So you actually now moving forward can go to Hidobin more often. You can feel comfortable going to Hidobin because he is your backup. And this season, he is reliable, a whole lot more reliable than he was last year at, at this time. Last year at this time, we were begging for Hidobin to do what he's done so far this season. The fact that he's done this season what we wanted him to do last year is a great thing this season for the Bruins. But it doesn't mean you should crown him the number one goaltender. It just means that we should enjoy it and stop bitching and complaining about who the number one is. The number one is Tuka Rask. I don't even know why this is up for debate. The backup, Anton Adobin, is playing great. You know who that's great for? The Boston Bruins. Because it's ultimately great for the number one goaltender, Tuka Rask, who can get some time off here this season, early on, who can have a goaltender behind him, that the team can feel confident in, that the coach can feel confident in, continuing to go to him when needed, and he will still give the team a chance to win, which will give him a better playoff position, and it will help Tuka Rask be rested and ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs, something that people say just 
You know, you just see they don't they don't like him in that spot. They don't they don't think he can win with Tuka. They don't think they can win with Tuka. Well, I've seen Tuka Rask as the goaltender of this team in the Stanley Cup finals. And um that would tell me that along the way that season of 2013, there was some big wins and some big games that he won even in the playoffs. So don't tell me he can't do that. But the problem you've seen with Tuka Rask as of late in the last couple of years, in my opinion, and I think this is borderline fact, is that you've had to rely on Tuka way too much, way too soon, because your backup sucked. And last year, your backup was Anton Hedobin. This year, your backup is Anton Hedobin. And the only difference with the Bruins' goaltending situation is that the backup this year... Anton Hedobin is playing a whole lot better than he did last year. There's no controversy. That's great news. Not just for Hedobin, for the Bruins, but also for Tuka Rask, which again, ultimately is great for everybody in Boston who's a hockey fan. So while you're out there trying to dig up some type of goaltending controversy or some type of controversy at all whatsoever, keep in mind that last season at this time, we were begging Hedobin to do what he's doing now. The fact that he's finally doing it doesn't make him the number one goalie on this team. It just makes him a much better backup than he was last year, which, again, is great for the Boston Bruins. So I needed to get that off my chest. Um, that's it. That's all my That's my thoughts on the Bruins. Let it play out. It's a long season. And whatever happens, I'll react to it. If something crazy happens, I'll react. But, um... You know, that's my hockey thought of the day of the week. Some baseball thoughts here real quick before I get to my picks. The winter meetings in Major League Baseball during this offseason, the winter meetings are December 10th in Orlando, and as the hot stove heats up, there are some reports out there that the Boston Red Sox are among several teams talking with the Chicago White Sox about a trade for first baseman Jose Abreu. Now, if you know anything about Abreu, you'll know that he's a power bat, He's a power bat upgrade from from what the Red Sox have now. Um, But, you know, if there's several teams involved, maybe there's going to be some type of bidding war here that Chicago's going to try to stir up. Obviously, the White Sox and the Red Sox, they do business with each other. We saw last year at this time the Chris Sale trade with the White Sox. So we've seen the blockbuster trades go down between these two teams But I think if you want to look at this thing realistically, you know, a lot of people throwing out Jackie Bradley Jr.'s name and a potential Jose Abreu deal. I'm not trying to tell you I wouldn't want Jose Abreu on the Red Sox. I would. It's just at what cost. And I think that if you're looking for a first baseman, which they obviously are, I still go back to you should be trying to make an addition there without a subtraction. And to me, if you ask me what should they do, should they give up somebody from the Major League roster for Jose Abreu, a guy who strikes out really at an alarming rate, um, a guy who is not a Gold Glove first baseman, but does have some power. You know he's gonna hit. You know he's gonna hit for power, for sure. I mean, is Abreu an upgrade over a guy you could just sign in Eric Hosmer, who actually has postseason experience, who actually has been to the World Series twice, who has won a World Series, who is also a couple years younger than Jose Abreu? Hosmer's 28. Abreu, I think, turns... What does he turn? 31? Um, Does he turn 31 soon, I think? Hosmer's younger. And you can just sign him. You don't have to get rid of anybody. You just basically let Mitch Moreland go. 
Right? He's gone. He's uh, Mitch Mullen's not coming back, obviously. I think they should still sign Eric Hosma before they give up anything of value on the Major League roster for Jose Abreu. Uh, my strategy would still be go sign Hosma. I, if you lined him up against the wall and said, who would you, you have captain first pick, or, or you, have, you have a pick, and these two guys are on the wall, and, and you can only, you know, who would you take first? I'd take Eric Hosma. I would. I'd take Hosma. Anyways, and, and if you can do that without having to give up anybody in a trade, you should try and go do that. But um, the rumors are out there. The Red Sox are talking to the White Sox. They're one of several teams. Anything goes down on that trade front, I'll react to it here moving forward. But my advice would be, don't make that trade. Sign Eric Cosma. That's what I would do. I would still sign Hosma to a deal to play first base next season. And then reports also suggest that the Miami Marlins asking price for Giancarlo Stanton is shockingly high. Though not shocking for me, if you listen to the show, you know I am not surprised that the price for Giancarlo Stanton would be shockingly high. Obvious. And and if you're the Red Sox, you know, you should probably back off that one, much like I told you they would and should when they get the price tag and when they hear from the Marlins and what their asking price is. So I'm not expecting Stanton to the Red Sox. If I had to put my money on it, I'd say maybe the Giants are the team that lands them. Honestly, I wouldn't snooze on the Yankees just because the whole Jeta factor, just because of the idea that it does seem like the people advising Stanton are trying to advise him that, you know, don't, and we know you got a no trade clause, but don't rule out the big cities. Don't rule out the big market on the East Coast just because you're a West Coast guy and you want to go to the West Coast. Don't rule out New York. Don't rule out New York City. I don't rule out the Yankees because of that. I don't. But the Red Sox, eh, I I don't think they're going to go there. And uh, we'll see what happens. But I'm not shocked. My point is I'm not shocked that Miami's asking price is, quote-unquote, shockingly high, as some of the reports out there suggest. So that's my thoughts. Those are my thoughts on the Major League Baseball offseason. And uh, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but... Here at Beantown Athletics, in the background, outside of my studio, I've heard a couple roars from the crowd out here, people watching TV inside of Beantown Athletics, outside of my studio. Uh, The roars, again, I don't know if you can hear them, but they're cheering Tiger Woods on, who apparently is back. Tiger Woods, or so they say, is apparently back. He's playing in a tournament today. He's hitting his fairways. That's nice. Haven't we done this before? And that's what I said to them. Um... Before I started recording, somebody asked me if I'm going to be talking about Tiger Woods today. I said, no, probably not. I might mention it. But, you know, I'm, I'm listening to them during the show rooting for Tiger Woods. And I'll give you the same message I gave them before I started recording, which was, haven't we done this before? Haven't we seen a Tiger Woods return? Hasn't he been back before multiple times only to be gone again? So here's what I'll do. I'm not going to spend too much time on Tiger Woods. So here's what I'll do. I'll tell you. Let me know, not when he's playing again, let me know when he's actually back. Because to me, there's a difference between Tiger Woods playing again in a tournament, being on TV, people get to root from. There's a difference between Tiger Woods playing again and being back. Tiger Woods is not back yet. He might be playing again. He's not back. And uh, until I find out that he is, then maybe I'll focus and spend some time on Tiger Woods. Until then, I think I'd be wasting my time on Tiger Woods, because like I said, we've done this before. At least it feels like we have, haven't we? So let me know when Tiger Woods is back. 
in my definition of being back, which is not just playing in a tournament. That said, uh, it's time to get back to some football, and it's time to close out the show like I do every Thursday with my picks for the upcoming week in the NFL. It's week 13, and I will begin with my DraftKings. Gotta have them play for Sunday's slate. And a reminder for you, with football season in full swing, it begs the question, how is your fantasy football team doing? Maybe you drafted a dud in the fourth round or your first round pick is on the shelf with a bum knee. Or maybe you're like me and have Ezekiel Elliott on your team who's currently serving his six-game suspension. Well, the good news is it's not too late to forget the injuries and the suspensions and get back in the winning column with DraftKings one-week fantasy football. The best part is you get to draft a new team every week without any commitment whatsoever. So get to DraftKings.com right now and use my promo code PIC, that's P-I-C, to play for free with your first deposit for your share of over $1 million in total prizes this coming Sunday. And my DraftKings gotta have them play for Sunday's slate is Todd Gurley running back for the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are in Arizona Sunday at 425. Todd Gurley is 8200 bucks. That's what he's going to cost you, 8200 He's the second most expensive running back in Sunday's slate, and that's behind New Orleans running back Alvin Kamara at 8400 So Todd Gurley at 8200 pretty pretty pricey, but I should let you know that uh, Julio Jones is the most expensive player overall for Sunday's slate at 8600 uh, So I still think Todd Gurley is a, is a great play here, even though he's a little pricey. The Rams are a seven-point favorite in this game. Gurley averages 22.9 fantasy points per game this season. And I'm looking at this thing going, Gurley has to be good for over 100 total yards in this one. You know, combined rushing and receiving you know they're gonna throw to him they're gonna dump it off to him he's gonna get his handoffs when you look at Gurley's numbers though forget about total yards how about his rushing yards Gurley has not rushed for 100 yards since late October and you know when that was and who that was against that was against the Cardinals the Arizona Cardinals earlier this season in late October uh Gurley and the Rams, they shut out the Cardinals 33 to nothing. Gurley ran for 106 yards and had a TD in that one. He also had like four catches for 50-something yards. So I'm expecting Gurley to do much of the same. I know this game, you know, it's not in L.A. It's in Arizona, but I think he should have a big day against the Arizona Cardinals, and I'm taking Todd Gurley. Gurley is my DraftKings. Gotta have him play for Sunday's slate. And that brings me to Picks Picks for week number 13 on the season. My record is 27-31-2. 27 wins, 31 losses, and two pushes. I went 3-2 and two last week in week 12. I'm considering that a pretty good week, but I need to be better. I'm looking to be at least 4-1 in week 13. So let's get to the picks. Hit the music. Picks Picks for Week 13, presented by Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher Shop in Dorchester. My studio is right down the street, I tell you all the time. And uh, one thing I'll be doing this weekend before the Patriots game against the Bills Sunday at 1 is I'll be going to Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher Shop to pick up my usual order, which is some steak tips, chicken, and of course a few sausages that are seasoned with spices straight from Island. This place is a staple in Boston, so stop in today on Adams Corner in Dorchester and let Jeannie and Gordon take care of you for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Whether you're stocking your fridge or filling your stomach by eating in their cafe, 
Everything is made to order with the freshest ingredients. Check out their entire menu right now, AdamsCornerCafeAndButcher.com. That's AdamsCornerCafeAndButcher.com. And when you do stop in, make sure you tell them I sent you Adams Corner Cafe and Butcher Shop in Dorchester. Let's get to the picks. I have four road teams this week for the second straight week, actually. I'm going with four road teams. Seems a little ballsy. Well, works for me last week. I had a three and two week above 500 week last week. Again, let's get better. Let's get the four and one even better. Let's get, let's have a perfect week. I've yet to have a perfect week this season. This is the time for it. So I will begin with Minnesota plus three over Atlanta. This game is in Atlanta. The Vikings are a three-point dog, and I'll be honest with you, I've had to double-check this one a couple times to make sure I got it right, make sure that the Vikings are actually the underdog in this game. Minnesota has a top-five defense, allowing just 17.7 points per game, and the Vikings are 4-1 on the road. You look at Atlanta, this game is in Atlanta. Atlanta has lost twice already at home this season to lesser opponents. They've lost to Buffalo at home, and they've lost to Miami at home. Buffalo is not as good as Minnesota, neither is Miami. The Vikings are 9-2. They've won seven straight. They've had a little extra time to prepare for this game because the Vikings played on Thanksgiving. You go over to the Falcons' side of things. The Falcons are 7-4. They have a win streak of their own. Uh, They've won three straight. And if the playoffs began after Week 12, if they began today, both of these teams would be in the tournament. Minnesota currently the number two seed in the NFC. Uh, They are running away with the NFC North, so they're going to win that division. Right now, Minnesota, the number two seed. Atlanta is the number six seed, and they own the head-to-head tiebreaker over the seven and four Seattle Seahawks because Atlanta beat Seattle not too long ago. And, And you look at the NFC playoff race, I mean, the Falcons have little margin for error the rest of the way. They really do. But um, I'm just looking at this game, and I'm thinking to myself, Case Keenum, he's got a fire lit under his ass. I think he can sense Teddy Bridgewater over his shoulder, but if you're the Vikings, you cannot make any type of quarterback change right now. you got to stick with Case Keenum. But I'm just not so sure that the, the lease is that long for Keenum, and I think he knows that, and I think that is motivating him to have some big days throwing the football, and I think he's going to do that in Atlanta. I think the Vikings keep it rolling. Give me the points here. Give me Minnesota plus three over the Falcons in Atlanta. Then I'm going with the New England Patriots minus eight and a half over the Bills. This one is in Buffalo. Patriots an eight and a half point favorite. This is actually the first time that these two AFC East teams will meet this season. They'll meet again in week 16 at Gillette Stadium for a one o'clock kickoff. But let's focus on this one now in week 13. The Patriots are nine and two. They've won seven straight. They're coming off a 35-17 win over the Miami Dolphins. Meanwhile, the Bills are 6-5, and and they snapped the three-game losing skid last week on Sunday in Kansas City, knocking off the stumbling Chiefs. That's a big win for Buffalo. Buffalo, actually, they have a couple really big wins this season. And it's in it. One one of them's in Atlanta. The other one is in Kansas City. I know the Chiefs are stumbling, but still, that's a big win. And the reason I get that win is because Buffalo went back to Tyrod Taylor. That's just a great decision for them. I mentioned it earlier. I have no idea why they ever would go to Nathan Peterman, but they went to Tyrod Taylor. And if you're Buffalo, you know that you're in the playoff race right now. You're on the outside looking in, sure. And. 
Baltimore right now, they own the tiebreaker over Buffalo because they have a better in-conference record. Either way, my point is, you know, they're close. So Buffalo still has a shot to get in. Certainly, they have a shot. Now, they're going to have to beat the Patriots. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, in fact, I don't know anybody who would pick Buffalo to beat the Patriots in this game. But because it's in Buffalo and because it's an 8.5-point spread, which is not necessarily small for a divisional battle between these two teams in which the favorite has to play on the road, I can understand if you'd consider taking the points. However, I am not taking the points because there's one game I cannot get over this season. And that was not too long ago, three weeks ago to be exact, when the Bills at home lost to the New Orleans Saints by a score of 47-10. to And again, that was in Buffalo. I cannot get over that game and think that the Patriots won't be able to put points up on the board in Buffalo. Patriots will be able to put, put points up on the board. And in fact, this is the highest overrunner of the week. So um, the Patriots should win this one, I think, by 10. So I'm going to take New England as an eight and a half point favorite. Give me the Patriots minus eight and a half over the Bills in Buffalo. Then I'm taking Kansas City. The Chiefs a three and a half point favorite over the Jets. The Chiefs are on the road. They're a favorite on the road. And you wouldn't think they'd be because they've lost, what, five of their last six. Um, They are coming off a loss to the Buffalo Bills. I just... Right now, the Chiefs are a tough team to bet. I can't do it with all the confidence in the world because they are not playing good football. Again, I told you they lost five of their last six. They're six and five on the season. They're the number four seed in the AFC playoff picture. So the Chiefs are still in. But they got now that now because they played so bad and they're only six and five, they have the five and six Chargers and the five and six Raiders right on their tail. So this game at MetLife on Sunday is a must-win for Kansas City. And look, if you can't beat the 4-7 and seven Jets in late November, then you have no shot of doing anything in the playoffs, even if you do get in. So when I look at Kansas City, I do expect them to put up a fight at MetLife. Uh, I expect them to snap their three-game losing skid. I expect them to beat the Jets, who have lost two straight. We're going to see Darrell Rivas here, too. Not for the Jets. No, Darrell Rivas signed with the Kansas City Chiefs last week. He's going to be making his Chiefs debut against his former team. I think it's a sort of think it's a sign of desperation from Kansas City's perspective. But uh, I don't know that it's going to be about Rivas. It's going to be about Alex Smith, and I expect Alex Smith to step up and take the team on his back, make a couple big plays, and I think that Kansas City goes on the road against a 4-7 and seven Jets team, and the Chiefs win this one by a touchdown. A lot of people thinking that maybe Kansas City should change quarterbacks and go with Mahomes. I'm not that guy. I think that if the Chiefs do... Look, if you want to make the change next year, fine. You want to make the change in the offseason, fine. But um, something's got to be said for the way the Chiefs started the season at 5-0, and all, especially going into New England, into Gillette, and beating the Patriots. Something's got to be said for that. I think if the Chiefs want any shot at all this season to do anything, if they do get to the playoffs, then it's going to be because Alex Smith gives them that shot. I think they should stick with Alex Smith, and I think he'll be a guy that needs to have a big game uh, against the Jets, and I think he will. So I'm going to take the Chiefs minus three and a half over the Jets at MetLife. Give me KC, Kansas City. 
as a three and a half point favorite in that one. Dan, I'm taking the New Orleans Saints minus four and a half over the Carolina Panthers. This is my only home game, my only home team that I'm picking this week. Uh, New Orleans is a four and a half point favorite over Carolina in New Orleans. The Saints are eight and three. They had their eight-game win streak snapped on Sunday in a loss to the Rams in Los Angeles. And now New Orleans returns home in Week 13. The Panthers are eight and three as well. And in fact, if the playoffs began today, both of these teams would play in the wild card round. They play each other. The Saints are the fourth seed. They'd be hosting the five-seed Carolina Panthers. So. This would be the matchup, and this is where the game would be played in New Orleans. So this is a potential playoff preview, and I do expect both of these teams to get into the tournament. But this game Sunday could decide this division, could decide the NFC South. And while I love the way Carolina looks right now, because New Orleans is at home, I think what you're seeing with their defense has been pretty impressive as well. What you're seeing out of their two-headed you know, monster, which is Kamara and Ingram in the run game in the backfield. I think that's a great thing for New Orleans right now as well. Uh, Drew Brees, the last time he played Carolina against Carolina was what? Week three this season. So this is a rematch from week three. And Drew Brees threw three touchdown passes in that game and led the Saints to a 34-13 win. In that game in week three, Cam Newton threw three interceptions. It was the Panthers' first loss of the season. It was the Saints' first win of the year. And I just think that this rematch right now, Carolina is going to be bringing a little bit more to the table. Both of these teams are a little bit different right now, but for the better. Both of these teams right now are playing great football. Even though the Saints lost to the Rams, that's a tough game in L.A. because I think the Rams are one of the best teams in football, one of the best defenses in football. So New Orleans returns home, and I'm just going to take the home cooking. And I know the spread's four and a half. But I do think that New Orleans can win this game against Carolina and they can cover. I'm going to take the New Orleans Saints minus four and a half at home over the Carolina Panthers. And my fifth and final team of the week, the L.A. Rams, a seven-point favorite. The Rams are going into Arizona to take on the Cardinals this is also a rematch game. These two teams played earlier in the season. They played last month, and the Rams shut out the Cardinals in L.A. 33 to nothing. Right now, both of these two teams, they're coming off an impressive win. Uh, the Rams, they just beat New Orleans, as I told you, and Arizona, they just beat Jacksonville. So two impressive wins by both of these teams. The Rams are 8-3, but the Cardinals are 5-6. and six. The Cardinals are not officially eliminated from playoff contention just yet, but their chances of actually getting into the tournament are slim to none. I don't think Arizona's going to get in. They're on their third quarterback of the season. Um, I'm just I'm expecting the Rams to win this game. I'm expecting them to go on the road. I'm expecting to actually win by maybe two touchdowns. And I told you, Todd Gurley, I think, is going to have a big game. That's why he's my DraftKings. Got to have him play of the week. If the playoffs began today, the Rams would be the number three seed in the NFC in the current playoff picture. And um, I just think the Rams are having one of those seasons. They are not going to lose this game in Arizona. And if they win, it's going to be by more than seven. I'm taking L.A. minus seven over the Cardinals in Arizona. So my five picks, my picks for week 13 in the NFL, picks, picks, Minnesota plus three, New England minus eight and a half, Kansas City minus three and a half, New Orleans minus four and a half, and the LA Rams 
minus seven. Picks, picks for week 13, presented by Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher Shop in Dorchester. Go to their website right now, Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher.com. And when you do stop in, make sure you tell Jeannie and Gordon that I sent you, whether you're stocking your fridge or filling your stomach by eating in their cafe, everything at Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher Shop is made to order with the freshest ingredients. So again, go to their website, Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher.com, and make sure you tell them I sent you Adam's Corner Cafe and Butcher Shop in Dorchester. That'll do it for this week. The next time I talk to you, it'll be the month of December. I'll be back on Monday reacting to everything in week 13 of the NFL. Uh, I'll react to any Major League Baseball hot stove trade rumors and anything that happens with the Bruins and the Celtics. I'll react to that as well as anything major in the world of sports. Get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, really anywhere podcasts are available. Also part of the Podcast One Network. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, all forms of social media. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm out. I'll talk to you on Monday.